Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. I'm excited to be sharing with you. I'm closing out, hopefully putting an exclamation point on our series titled Fight for Family. We oftentimes get put in a position as believers where we're on the defense. And, and this is biblical and this is true, right? Often we're lifting up the shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. But I believe that God has another position for us to step into, one of offense. We, we don't just have the shield of faith, but we also have the sword of the spirit. And inside Nehemiah, there is this resistance that begins to push and causes him to be stirred up for his people to begin to fight to rebuild the temple walls. Now, the temple walls and the gates are actually representative of something in our own lives. It's representative of the soul, the mind, will, and emotions, and of our heart. And today, I want to share a message with you just titled very simply, Resist. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say he might. It doesn't say maybe. He'll think about it. It says he will, but there is a direct command for us to resist. Somebody say resist. All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. And this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is giving some of his most profound teaching and instruction. It's revelatory. And what's revelatory about it is because it involves relationships. And so if you're here today, you've ever been through any discouraging, depressing relationship type of situation, I want you to pay close attention. Now, how many of you know what an idiom is? Pastor Isaac mentioned it in our meet and greet question. He talked about, you know, what's your favorite figure of speech. But let me define it for just a second. It's a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deducible from those of the individual words. So let me give you a couple and see if you know what they are. Seeing eye to eye. Do you know what that means? Being in agreement with somebody. I just want you to look at your neighbor in their eyes and just see eye to eye. Kind of strange. Or how many of you know this one? Um, If you've ever been to Whole Foods, you probably are familiar with this. As you've gone and checked out uh, and you got the grocery bill, that costs an arm and a leg, right? (laughs) That's kind of a weird, if you're not from, you know, from the United States or where we use this figure of speech, that sounds disgusting. It sounds terrible. I was in India one time and I had a translator and the translator had asked me a question if I could help him out with something and I said to him, piece of cake. And a few moments later, one of his guys went away and they brought me a literal piece of cake. So all languages have idioms. They're figures of speeches. They don't make sense literally. But often phrases that Jesus says in the Gospels make little sense until we understand that they're actually Hebraic idioms. Matthew 6, 22 through 23 is one of those. It says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, single, sound, healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus is using a Hebraic idiom, good eye and evil eye. And what he's describing is not your literal eye. He is describing a person's attitude. He's describing a way of seeing, or we could say it's a filter 
or a belief system. Now, it's going to be important to understand that as we continue to read through uh, Matthew 6 and Matthew 7. So a good eye is, by definition, generous, sincere, a selfless outlook on life. It refers to seeing and responding to others' needs. And in contrast, a, a bad eye or an evil eye is one that's focused on selfish gain, greed, or it's self-centered, a self-centered attitude. Now, how many of you know that we can have a good eye and we can have an evil eye? And Jesus continues the conversation. He's talking about priority. He's talking about worship. He's talking about money. He's talking about anxiety and worry. There's a ton that's going on here. And then he goes into Matthew 7, but he's continuing the conversation talking about this Hebraic idiom about our belief system or our way of seeing. Now, it's titled in most Bibles, Don't Judge Others Passage, but I believe that there's a lot more here. In Isaiah 45.3, it says, I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish the Bible was like three pages and just four points. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, wouldn't it just seem easier? God, couldn't you have just given us the four, four points? But that's not how he lays it out. Here's why. Proverbs 25.2 tells us it's God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. Remember in Revelations 1.6, he calls us kings and priests. So it's more glorious for God to hide and to have us seek. He's not, he's not trying to conceal something from us, but he's trying to conceal it for us. Because when you start to dig, and this is why it's so important for you to take God's scripture and to be able to take the word and to allow yourself to dig into it because it is there that you will find revelation. But I got to warn you, as we look down in Matthew 7, there, there is something that is said that, that I just got to make you aware of. And in Matthew 7, 14, it says this, but small is the gate and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life. Now, that everlasting life is Zoe, or the quality of life that God possesses, and there are few who find it. Now, is he talking about salvation, or is he talking, or being saved, or is he talking about salvation? He's actually talking about salvation, not just getting saved, but he's saying it's difficult to grow. It's difficult for you to be able to dig and to search out and to understand some things. It's difficult. It's not easy. Growth takes time. If you ever tried to grow something in your garden, which my wife and I are doing right now, she's doing more of it than I am, but I'm watching and observing, and, and it's difficult. What, what, the level of care and attention and the soil and the, you know, the different vitamins and minerals and, and what you have to monitor, well, the same is true of you and I. So after I've, I've, I've given you that, that caution, let's go into Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And I, I believe it's a, a place of great riches for us today that I believe uh, God's going to show really something clear to us. And I'm going to give you a process. So Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority as though assuming the office of a judge, though that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, remember repentance is to change the way you think, so you will be judged and in accordance with your standard of measure used to pass out judgment, judgment will be measured to you. Now pay attention here in verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the insignificant speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice and acknowledge the egregious log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, play actor, pretender. First, get the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now in this passage, I believe we often get caught up you know, sort of jostling between not, not judging somebody, and, 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 but there is a direct command from the lips of Jesus that I think are so important. And it's just the one point that I want to give you today, and then I've got six subpoints to it. And Jesus says this He says, Look at the log and get it out. Look at the log and get it out. Now remember today, we're not here for self help. We are here not just to help ourselves, but we have the helper. We have the Holy Spirit, the one who leads and guides us into all truth, the one who comes along, alongside and calls out. We're here to partner with the Holy Spirit so that he can comfort, that he can guide, that he can care for us and allow us to begin to see fully what God wants us to see. Are you with me? You're not with me. You didn't, you didn't respond. Okay, thank you. All right. So let's ask the question, what is the log? What is this log? If if it's something that we all have, and it's something that we're supposed to look at, and something we're supposed to get out, then I think it would be a good idea for us to figure out what it is. So the log is this. It's an obstruction to our ability to see things correctly. Every one of us has it, all right? So if the eyes is simply a way of seeing, a filter, your belief system, remember a good one or a bad one, then the log is the obstruction. Now the log that Jesus is talking about here that leads us to actually have a bad eye or an evil eye, he's talking about a wound. Now if a wound is left unattended, how many of you know it festers, infection sets in, and all of a sudden, if we're not attentive to it, it can cause death. Now uh, last week, Dr. John Trent gave us a definition of death, didn't he? He said death was to step away from, into isolation. Now this is a passage where Jesus is talking about relationships. And I don't know if any of you have ever been wounded in your life before, and if that wound caused you to see things from a different angle, maybe you just had a little tinge, a little flinch, and so you started stepping back from relationships. Now I believe this, the log has the potential to create isolation, victimization, and rejection. But if we'll approach it the way that Jesus tells us to, it, became, it becomes a hidden opportunity of healing. It becomes a hidden opportunity for us to go to new levels in our life. And I want to show you that today. So how? How do we get the log out? And I'm going to use my title as an acronym, RESIST, and I'm going to give you a start here for R-E-S-I-S-T for, you can write this down if you're taking notes, recognize, express, and experience, S, see the story, I, inquire, S, search out, and T, treasure. Now hang on, because this is not just some weekend message for you. I believe that this is a process that I felt the Holy Spirit lay out. And I want to give you details about it. But it can be imitated, it can be replicated, be duplicated. And we're going to talk about how we get into that process each and every time. So let's start with the R, and I'll give it to you fully. Recognize that you are hurt or you're hurting. 
First step, recognize that you are hurt or hurting. Here's what I know. All of us have had our hearts broken. All of us have had disappointment. We've had some form of abuse. Some of us, our brokenness is, is more than others, but all of us have suffered loss. We've suffered people speaking words over us. All those things have happened. That's why Jesus said part of his mission statement was that he came to heal the brokenhearted. And if there is a time in the history of humanity that we need the heart to be made whole, it is now. As we're seeing uh, tensions rise, racial tensions, as we're seeing and observing things that are taking place in our school systems, so much fear creeping in, and we need the one who heals the brokenhearted to come in. But it starts with us recognizing that we're hurting. Uh, David said it this way in Psalms 109.22, For I am afflicted and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I mean, that's a, that's a powerful statement said by a powerful king. And I can guarantee you that so many people that I know, that statement for them would be very obtuse. It would be very difficult. Because we're not good at taking inventory of our emotions. For me, I didn't, I didn't grow up, we didn't talk about emotions. I mean, I experienced them because my mom was a full-blooded Italian, but I didn't, I didn't have them in a healthy way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so when it came to emotions... We sort of thought, especially in the church, emotional people are out of control. So just, we won't do that. We won't, we won't, how are you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. I'm, a, I'm anointed, not disappointed. You know, we make up stuff so we don't actually have to say how we're doing. So for me, growing up, I, I didn't develop a muscle of awareness of my emotions, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's one that I'm developing now. And so when I would get hurt, I would just stuff things. Any, any stuffers in here? You don't have to raise your hand. We can meet afterwards, go to coffee or something. But stuff, suppress, some sedate. They don't want to take inventory of their emotions. So we may, we may use something to just sort of ease it, to shift to cause a, a state change, could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be shopping, it could be sex, it could be whatever it is, and we use it in a, in a negative way to try to deal with the pain that we're having. Now what I began to experience, actually my wife experienced more than me, but I would, I would stuff it, and then eventually, because I was never taking inventory of my emotions, she would get it. And it would be the most ridiculous things because I would come home and I would be like, I would, the grocery bill and I would think about the gourmet popcorn that was purchased and the dog food and I would go off. I know none of you have ever done that, gotten frustrated over the dumbest thing. You're in line at the movies and the line's not moving and it must be all those stupid people in front of you. Of course, you don't even know one of them, but inside you just, ah, right? So the first thing that we have to do is to begin to notice overreactions to situations, minor stressors that be, begin to make us feel miserable. Why? Because there is an opportunity as you begin to take inventory and recognize that you're hurting for you to begin to actually move into a place where God does something incredible. So here's what I started to do. I started to actually write down my thoughts every 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes, I'd write down what I was thinking, what I was feeling, right? And I've heard this statement, and it sounds cute, 
But I'm going to tell you, it's crucial, and you need to just embrace it and grab it. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Sounds cute, doesn't it? But I'm telling you, revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Because here's what we've come to know and understand, that the solution to the wrong kind of pain is the right kind of pain. Here's the right kind of pain. The pain of becoming an honest person. The pain of actually knowing where you are. The pain of allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Looking at what you don't want to look at. Admitting what you don't want to admit. Confronting what you don't want to confront. Not just hiding. Not just going underground. Not just trying to erase all of your internet search history. So that people, because that gets difficult. And all of a sudden you're compartmentalizing so many, so many things that you've never looked in the mirror and just taken inventory. Where am I at? The mirror doesn't lie. But we hide all those emotions. Are you with me? Okay. So the first thing we have to do is recognize that we are hurting or hurt. The E, next next step, express and experience emotions in a safe and appropriate way. Okay, don't don't get sidetracked by safe and appropriate. I'm not not talking unicorns and rainbows and bubbles, okay? Let Let me help you to understand this because how comfortable are you with the Psalms? Everybody enjoy reading the Psalms? Not one person here, okay. Uh, David, he was a man after God's own heart, wrote, wrote a lot of the Psalms. Okay, let's read Psalms 58. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. He's talking about people, by the way. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. David, how do you really feel? Are you okay, David? Here's what David knew that we need to understand. Honesty breeds security. Honesty breeds security. The more you can start to announce and understand when you're hurting, and you can communicate and express it in the moment, the less you'll sedate and suppress and push it down for it to come out at another time where you have no idea what's going on. Honesty breeds security. Now, I want you to think about David and Nathaniel. Remember David was the one who had an affair uh, and, and had a man killed, Uriah. Now think about David's life. If you go to 2 Samuel 12 and Psalms 51, don't go there right now, but you can write it down and go there later. But remember, Nathan came to David to basically confront him about this situation. I love the story because of how Nathan confronts David in his, in his issues. He tells him a story. He doesn't say, hey, David, you, you sorry you sorry piece of whatever. He comes at David and he said, let me tell you a story about a rich guy and a poor guy. And he goes through the story and David's like, I can't believe this. And he sees it. And then Nathan says, you are, you are that man. And it allows David a chance to step back. It's a beautiful picture. But remember, David, right, when Samuel came to anoint a king and Jesse, David's dad, didn't even invite him to be chosen. I bet you that stung a little bit, don't you think? Don't you think that would have hurt? And then David uh, had a king who he respected and honored named Saul who basically got jealous of him and tried to kill him. I wonder if that would wound you. I wonder if that would hurt just a tad bit. And here is David later on in this situation where it comes out. It expresses itself in an affair. As I began to understand David's heart, it begins to make a little bit more sense about how it is that David ended up in a situation. But he still became a man after God's own heart. And after confronted... Psalms 51 gives you the process where David is repentant. He's able to change because he's honest 
with his emotions. Here's what I need you to know. Your emotions don't just dissipate. They don't go away. They erupt at some point because they can't hide underground. They're coming out somewhere to your kids. They're coming out somewhere to your coworkers. They're coming out somewhere to your family. And if we're going to fight for our family, then we're going to have to build high the walls and deep the moats as the kings and the queens and the priests of the kingdom that God has called us to establish. And I believe that our emotions, our heart, our souls, our mind, will, and emotions are one of the most important parts. So for us to be able to say, I'm upset because of, without constraints, without filters. I had a lady come to my office, a friend actually, and she had been going through a number of difficult situations was having some pain in relationships, and I had asked her a question. I just said, why don't you just give me a recent story of something that has frustrated you, upset you? Easy. I was at the, I was at the grocery store, and this lady with the shopping cart full of stuff, she just cut right in front of my, my three kids as I was trying to pick something up. She just cut in front of me. And I said, great. Okay, well, how did you, how did you feel about that? What did, you, what did you think about this lady? Without any restraint, I know I'm a pastor. Just go ahead and tell me. Well, she was an, she was an inconsiderate jerk. And then she shared a few other things I'm not going to share with you here. And so I said, great, that's great, okay? And then we just went down. I said, now, do you know with 100% certainty that this woman was a complete, absolute jerk, inconsiderate jerk? I mean, you just saw her this time. Was there ever a chance that, you know, maybe she wasn't a jerk? She said, well, I guess, I guess I don't know fully. And then I said, well, have you ever been an inconsiderate jerk? You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to push. I'm just asking. Well, I guess there was that one time. Well, tell me about that time. Okay, great. And then I said, well, what do you really want from this lady? What, what would you like? I just, I just want people. I just, you know what I want? I just want, I don't want to repay evil with evil. I want to be a beacon of hope and mercy. And when she said it, she started to cry. And I said, that is exactly what you wanted. That's what you want in your heart. As she expressed her emotion, she got a revelation from God of what she was called to be and what she was called to do. So then we went further and we said, well, how do you treat yourself? Like when it comes to your relationship with God and your body and, and money and all of it, all of it, she could say, I'm inconsiderate with it. And I said, huh, it's interesting maybe that in this relationship that there is an opportunity for you to begin to see and make a shift on the way that you've actually been thinking about and treating yourself. Pretty powerful thing, Right. So as you begin to say, I am upset, and not be all like, I got to just have it all together, but I am upset. So that's the E. Then the next is to see the story that you've been telling yourself and letting determine the course of your life. Here's what Proverbs says in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, thoughts are things. Thoughts are things. Now, thoughts don't create reality. Beliefs create reality. But when a thought comes by and you grab it, it has the potential to either be, this is what I say, thoughts are like the wind, and it has the potential to either be a headwind, an opposing force, or a tailwind, a propelling force. And if you don't do anything with it, it becomes a whirlwind. And it just causes you chaos and confusion. So you've got to do something with it. So if you have a good eye, it becomes a propelling force in your life. But when you take that and you begin to consume it, that's how it begins to be a belief. And for most of us, in our first 18 years of life, is when beliefs really get anchored. It's when they, they, they literally get settled into our heart, because our heart is the most, the most malleable. It's the most uh, formidable at that time. So it is in those moments where like little things that were thrown at you, 
ways that you were treated at five, six, seven, and eight, judgments that you made, significance you attached to those things. It's not even the event that happened, but what you made it mean that starts to create a directional shift in your heart. Are you with me? This is where I'm flawed, I'm unlovable, I don't belong, I'm unworthy, I'm undeserving, I'll never be good enough. The fear that you'll be left all alone, that you're not safe. If you're not given special treatment, your needs will never be satisfied. And this is the opportunity for us to come in and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Spirit, what unhealthy belief has been running in the background of my life? And how do we know? Because there's a big log jammed in your eye causing you constant frustration. And those minor stressors ignite those things. And the moment you start to see it, you have an opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit, what, what's going on? Do I really care about gourmet popcorn? And do I really care about the dog food being overpriced? Or is there something deeper going on in here that I need to pay attention? Now the Holy Spirit, the one who's our comforter, comes alongside. See, you can make a statement, right? Like driving a car is dangerous, which is actually true. 100% true, right? How many of you know? I could get in my car. I could get run over by a, a, you know, a semi and all kinds of terrible things. But how many of you know it's also true that, how, that being able to drive a car is awesome and exciting. It's an adventure and I can have incredible relationships. I can drive to have coffee with somebody at Starbucks and I can drive over here. Both of those stories are true. Now one is birthed in fear. One's birthed in insecurity. One's birthed in scarcity. And the other is Love, joy, right? So God is saying, if you'll examine the intents and the, and the course and the direction, I will bring or I'll root out that fear and allow you to step into the abundant life that I have for you. Can I get an amen to that at least, all right? So see the story. Next, inquire to find when and why that story began playing. So I'm not advocating necessarily for us to all go back to every situation in our past, but I am advocating the fact that we need to inquire of the Holy Spirit so that we can ask when this situation or this story began playing in our heart. Why? Because your heart is the thing where all of your input from your soul and from your spirit, which is complete in Christ Jesus, begins to act almost like a GPS as a navigate, navigation system. Remember, Jeremiah says that the heart can be deceitful. So the heart can be good or bad. Someone will say, hey, just follow your heart. That's good advice and it's terrible advice. Depends on what's in your heart, right? It's like a cesspool if you allow a bunch of junk in, but if you clean it out, it can be good. That's why I don't give that advice. Don't, I don't just say follow your heart. What's in your heart? And so this is when you begin to inquire and ask the Lord, what's going on? Luke 13 is the parable of the barren fig tree. And this is the story where uh, the owner of the vineyard comes in, he sees that one of the trees is not producing fruit, and he says, cut it down. This is often how we act. We act in our own lives. We're so condemning and critical. We do this with other people. So if we're not seeing fruit, cut it down. Get them out. Excommunicate him from the church. Blah, blah, blah. I've heard it a thousand different ways. But Jesus, who's the gardener and represented in the story, he says, hold on a second. Let's dig around. Let's fertilize it. And let's give it some time. Let's give it a year. And that, that is true of us in our hearts. We need to dig around to figure out what's been going on, what's happening. Where is this pain? Where is this people-pleasing, drivenness, eating disorder, sexual compulsivity, persistent emotional patterns of anxiety, fear, depression, things that are limiting us, causing us to overreact, being critical, controlling, condemning. 
Fear dominated. Holy Spirit, when did this begin playing in my life? And when did I first experience it? Then the next S is to search out the truth to replace the limiting or, or unhealthy belief that's causing disease. Psalms 139 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. That's a pretty powerful passage of Scripture. I don't know how many of you have an opportunity when you read the Word of God to be able to take a Scripture like that and say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father God, what is one precious thought that you have about me today? What's one precious thought that you're thinking of me today? Because you said that you'd give me daily bread. And I love this because God begins to give us a word. Now, at at different times, he's given me different words. It's been favored. It's been loved. It's been accepted. It's been valued. But this is why we need to spend time with the Lord so that he can speak into our hearts and he can overthrow every limiting belief that has been there from from events in our lives that have shaped us and caused us to start overreacting. Are you understanding me? This is why John 1, 9 through 14 says, The word became flesh, moved into the neighborhood. Those who let their hearts be persuaded, who overcame their limiting beliefs, he made them to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. Hebrews 4, 12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart crazy so here Jesus is talking about the things that cause us to not be able to experience the best quality of life the best quality of relationships and even though you see the speck and causes you to overreact he's saying the log is in your eye and then we end up with the last T which is to treasure the gift and the process so we begin to realize first and foremost that we're hurting we begin to express and experience that emotion We begin to then uh, see the story that's running. We begin to inquire of it. Then we ask, when did this story begin? And now we get to the treasure, James 1, 2 through 4. It says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests or frustrations and challenges come at you from all sides. In other words, when you get ticked, when you get upset, when you get angry, consider it a sheer gift. Here's why. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way, lacking nothing. One translation says it's an opportunity for growth. I know the Lord has been working on me in this area for sure. And, and he gave me a picture. He said, Brad, every time you have a frustration, I want you to take a big whiff because it's fertilizer. It doesn't smell good. You don't like it. But it's rich in nutrients, and those nutrients are helping to produce fruit so quit backing away from your frustration and in the same way Jesus is saying that about our emotions he's saying that about the log the obstruction he's saying listen I know you don't want to look at it but quit looking at the speck and the other person that you're getting so mad at that you've literally become a victim and you're constantly saying it's them it's them it's them it's them he's saying I know listen we'll get to them but before we can get to them I've got to get you out of condemnation and criticalness this stuff that's eating you up and I need you to see that this is how you're being to you this is how you're treating you you're not being gracious I love you my thoughts about you are precious and I need, I need you to stop treating yourself like this then we can get to that other person but first and foremost you got a big log in your eye and I'd like to rescue you I'd like to help you 
but I need you to resist. I'm going to need you to uproot this limiting belief. Here's what every child needs. Here's what every person needs. Four questions answered consistently. Who am I? What do you believe about me? What do you feel about me? What are your hopes for me? Every child, my kids, they need that answered, but so do we. And guess what? God delivers on every one of those, every moment. Some of you might be here today and you're like, Brad, don't tell me I I need to feel. Don't tell me I need to have emotions. Let me tell you what this world needs right now. It needs holiness, which means wholeness. It's not something weird. It's something incredible. Jesus is holy. He's holy. He's whole. He comes to heal the brokenhearted. He comes to take every area that's been broken, every area that is causing pain or dis-ease in your life. He's come to heal it. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.